So um, if you're new, welcome to Crossroads. My name is Dan Mike, and I'd like to invite you to study the Bible together and like to be a voice of encouragement to you and your faith and strengthen you if there's a way I can to encourage you to continue to uh, live your life in a way that looks like Jesus and conforms to the patterns that, uh, that he shows us all throughout the Bible, even in the Old Testament, um, which we have been studying for the past month or so, the book of Ruth, or as some of us have started to call it, the gospel according to Ruth. Uh, so if you can find a Bible, um, if you don't know where Ruth is, it's towards the left. Uh, there's a concordance. That's a good, that's been good enough. Okay, just, you'll find it, just flip through. While you're turning there, I have a little bit of a life update to share with you. I know I mentioned last time I was before you that uh, my wife, Chelsea, was with child and getting ready to deliver, and I have great news, for to us, a child has been born. Yeah, all right. A daughter has been given. Her name is Georgia. Georgia Rose. Georgia means farmer, or at least that's what it said when I Googled it, and it's just something that's really... Uh, near and dear to Chelsea and I's heart and vibe and rose after uh, one of our dear friends, Gina. And so thank you for your prayers and thoughts uh, for the past few weeks, but we're excited. I'm also very excited to speak on the book of Ruth today because I don't know about you, but I've just been having just a lot of, it has just been really good this last month. I don't know, am I the only person who God's just been teaching a lot of stuff to in the book of Ruth, or has it happened for you too in, the, in your comings and goings? Does anybody feel like it's been beneficial of a time for you? Uh, hang on to this stuff. Treasure it away in your hearts. And I'm excited to be able to do, uh, to, to kind of read the end here and do a little bit of an overview. Um, and so if you're just now tuning in, the story is really about three people. Ruth, Naomi, and a guy named Boaz. Naomi and Ruth are both widows. Um, and they're really trying to figure out how to survive uh, in the culture that they were in. And in the time of uh, ancient Israel, there was a procedure or a right that you could have if you're a widow where you could claim a kinsman redeemer or a Leverite marriage. Or what, would, what they would do is they would pledge all of their belongings to a close family member to keep it in the name but in turn get all of the benefits of being a wife uh, or to be a part of a family, to have provision, to have protection. And so uh, what we read last week was Ruth trying to, to figure out how to do this, um, and she approaches Boaz, that other character I mentioned, to be her kinsman redeemer. And what he says to her essentially is, look, I want to do that for you, but there's somebody, if you want to do this the right way, there's somebody that's closer, uh, a closer relative for you. And so we had to talk with them first because I want to do things, uh, I want it to be legitimate legally. And so the very next day, Boaz goes to the city gates um, of Bethlehem and he gets all the elders together and he gets that guy that he knows is closer a relative to them and asks him, are you willing to take responsibility for these widows and for their land and for their stuff. And he says, I wish I could, but I can't. It'll make me financially upside down. I'm not really sure if I can do that. And, and so he blesses Boaz to be able to do this. The elders bless Boaz to take this on. And they exchange sandals, and we all know what that means. 
when a man gives another man a sandal, all right, in the presence of the, the elders, it's a big deal. And I don't know, Rod read that verse from Deuteronomy last time, and I think I saw that there was a spitting in the face that needed to happen too, but I think maybe uh, Boaz was just being a good guy, so he just took the shoe and left. And, uh, and that's pretty much where we're at in the story, and I'd like to pick it up from there. So if you'd stand with me for the reading of Scripture, I'm going to read from Ruth chapter 4 and verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife. He had made love to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous. May his name be spoken out uh, among, uh, throughout all of Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. They named him Obed, okay? And, And he was the father of Jesse, who was then the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. The word I'd like to speak to you on today um, is the word restoration. And that's just been my prayer for you all week, that God would bring restoration to your life and to your story and to your family in any way possible. Just pause for a moment of prayer with me. Father in heaven, we just see Boaz in the city gates and the same gate that Naomi and Ruth stumbled through, desperate and and in need. And we, kind of in the same place, just want to join into this great story of, rede- of restoration. The same city gate that Joseph and Mary came through, pregnant with the king. We just look to you to give us inspiration and meet with us, Holy Spirit, in a restoring way. If anybody's here just feeling broken where relationships are broken, where our hearts are broken, our future, our imaginations are broken. Can you restore us even now? Let it be. In your name, Jesus. Amen. It was a very dark time that the book of Ruth um, happened in. Very specific days, uh, even as general as it sounds. If you look at verse 1 in chapter 1, in the days when the judges judged. Now, if you're fighting away flannel graph images here, uh, like I am about the judges, I'd like to just sort of pause for a moment and remind you of kind of the real darkness that's happening here in, in a way. I mean, the judges, it's a whole book of the Bible that we have sort of in our canon just prior to Ruth. A very dark time, kind of like the dark ages of the history of Israel. And... Um, 
and if you see the timeline here, Moses got the children of Israel to the Jordan, Joshua got them into the land and established. And then when Joshua died, there's this uh, plaque in my parents' house that has this verse for what Joshua said to everybody. He said, choose ye this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I always thought that, and I still think, that is a very profound statement that I, I, I love to live by. But the fact that he had to make that statement tells you a little bit of what's going on. They don't have a king. They don't have a, a military. They don't have an established uh, government, if you will. And it, it becomes a time where people start to fall for exactly what God warned them to not fall for in the land of Israel. They start going after the gods that are there, after the people following their, um, their leadership. And if you look at Judges chapter 3, there's a specific word that's used here that they forsook. They, they forsook the Lord and they gave their daughters and they gave their sons into marriage with the Canaanite people. What happens in the book of Judges is as things get progressively worse and worse, then God raises up a leader to, to lead a revolt, a revolution, if you will. Uh, you might be able to name a few of the uh, judges right now if I asked you. Does anybody know any of the judges? Yeah, Samson, well, the popular one. Uh, Deborah, now we're here we go, okay. Yeah, Gideon, you've got the left-handed guy, right? That one, you know, and you've got all kinds, all these stories of people who were raised up to actually uh, reset where Israel is as they could, were getting off track. But in this time, you just put yourself there. Who, who protects you? How do, you, how do you figure, you know, you're going to be safe? Or, or how do you, it must be just a very tense time. And probably the most indicative line of that time you can find at the very end of the book of Judges. If you're, if you're open to Ruth still, you could just see it up at the top of the page. Judges, the very last line says, And in those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They had no king, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. I can't think of a better way to, to sort of describe the time that we live in right now. I mean, everyone doing what's right in their own eyes isn't just a description of our time. It's actually a stated value of our time. I mean, the, the stuff that we say to just sort of represent kind of like, you know, the stuff that, that, that structures our narcissism, if you will, it's, it's like uh, this big popular phrase, you do you, right? That, that's kind of the same thing. How about my truth, your truth, you know, uh, you got to do what you got to do. Uh, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, and so don't hate the player, hate the game. I mean, it's just we, we live in a time that continually validates do what's right for you. It's a great time to ask ourselves, then, why is Ruth in the Bible? Why is this a book of the Bible? I mean, if you at all resonate with being in a time where morals are just sort of seen as it's not really popular to have them and you're allowed to just sort of do whatever you want to do, if you, if you resonate at all with this time of the judges that we kind of live in, you should be asking yourself, what does Ruth Teach me about how to live during this time. As you might see, 
the second phrase of the book of Ruth, not just they're living in the dark time of the judges, but actually it gets worse, and there was a famine. Not a great combination. Uh, a bunch of people who, who don't have like really strong morals and uh, desperation and hunger and starvation. Okay, this probably would even feel just more and more like a terrible time, a terrible place to live. And if you think that we're not experiencing various famines now, let me just remind you, I think that they're everywhere I turn are people starving for, they're starving economically. We're starving even just for information. Uh, a lot of people, they just don't even know, where can I find some information to trust? Everybody says the opposite of everybody else. There's a famine there. There's a famine socially. We're so connected, but we're disconnected and, and full of despair, and we feel like we're alone. We're, there's famine and hunger when it comes to even just the camaraderie of our nation and, and the place that we live and how people are just so disconnected from each other uh, in, a, in a form of, are even able to love one another. Um, it's a famine-type place out there right now. And what does the book of Ruth offer a place that is uh, low in morals and a low in, in, in a desperate place? Because when I start to look around in the last month to really kind of get my heart behind, uh, you know, the book of Ruth, a lot of the stuff that I saw really relegated Ruth to being this like rom-com book of the Bible in the Old Testament where this, it's just like a story of like rags to riches, an unlikely romance uh, between this outsider Ruth and this guy named Boaz. And I don't know, I'm reading it, I'm just not seeing that. I mean, think what you want, but most of the time she's just living with her mother-in-law. Not exactly the most romantic story uh, out there. Not to mention just the way that things are, are happening. It just seems much more like a person uh, who, who is trying to survive in a desolate, desperate time. Why is Ruth in the Bible? Well, let me just tell you what's happening to me as I'm reading and studying Ruth in this last month. I think in this short 85 verses is probably the best picture of the kingdom of heaven breaking out in the entire Old Testament. I mean, if you think of everything we've learned from Ruth so far, as you've sat in here, and if you've been here each week, you've heard it read out loud. And if, if you just put that in your mind when I say this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or, or blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemaker. Does this not remind you of this story where God's heart is put on display? His risky, vulnerable, faithful, loyal character shown through this woman, Ruth. Ruth is such a great inspiration that we can look at to say there is a way to live for God in a world of darkness that shows like a diamond set up against a black <laughs> velvet display of the judges. And the question that I'm asking then is what do I walk away with um, as we conclude 
this whole time of Judges, uh, of Ruth. And the word that I want to walk away with here is this is a story of restoration. So what can Ruth teach me and teach us about how to live in line with uh, our hope that God will restore us and that God is a God of restoration? Well, this, the first step that I, that, I, that I see her taking towards restoration can be seen um, in the contrast between Ruth and Naomi, her mother-in-law. As you start to see their relationship develop, I don't know about you, but it seems like they couldn't be uh, more opposites in the way that they act in this world. When we look at Naomi versus Ruth, Ruth chooses to commit and to stay. If you want to start a pattern in your life of like promoting restoration in a relationship or in something that you see is broken and in need of, uh, of being restored, the first step is to commit to just stay. Naomi, on the other hand, she does the opposite. Every time I turn around, she's leaving someplace and going to another place. Naomi, she, she displays kind of a character trait of somebody who, rather than seeking restoration, uh, she trades it for relief. And anybody who will tell you, it's an easy decision to make, trying to find temporary relief, especially when you're feeling like you're kind of out there and broken but it's not going to be the thing that actually leads to health and sustainability in your life. She gets relief by moving. She gets relief by identifying with her pain and, and over kind of overdoing it, trying to change her name to bitter. She, she, she finds relief in making it worse than it is. She says when she comes to Bethlehem, I've come back empty. Ruth is standing right there. She's right there. I'm back. I've got nothing, you know, and it's like, come on. If I'm Ruth, I'd be like, thanks a lot. Okay, and so... It sure felt good to say it, but it's really, it's just a little relief. It's not even true. Um, even just the way that she coaches Ruth to go and like manipulate Boaz and to play right out of the Judah Tamar playbook. Uh, try and, and trick him into becoming your kinsman redeemer instead of just talking to him like you're supposed to do. And this temporary fix maybe will get them what they want in the end. And I'm not blaming her. I think that this is a common feeling and a common temptation whenever we're out of sorts and whenever we're in a place of desperation, it's easy to turn and say, um, what can I just grab at right now to just fix it? A temporary fix. It's kind of like <laughs> if you've ever broken a bone, <laughs> yeah, it is good to get some painkillers or whatever, but like if you don't set that right, or whatever, if you don't get that bone to where it's supposed to be. It's not going to just fix it, to just take a pill. But when we look at Ruth, we see such an amazing display of somebody who takes a step in faith and just says, I see where you're at, and I am going to just stay until this gets resolved. I'm going to stay, and I'm going to go to work for you. And piece by piece, Ruth picks up Naomi's heart and her life and begins to set it back together. Is there somebody in your life that you could be a Ruth to? Sometimes we're called to just do a simple thing and to just see somebody like Naomi who's just broken and out of sorts and to just say, I am going to commit to being a part of your life. I am going to stay. I know you might even say things that hurt me. You might even <laughs> send me down the wrong path. You might even do some stuff that I think is sketchy, and I might be there too. I don't know, but I'm going to stay. 
This could be such a powerful opportunity for you if you are in a place where right now God's put somebody on your heart because the world looks at so many people like Naomi and just says, no, they, it's not your problem. It's, it's not, you can't really do anything and, and you can't fix. It's too big of a problem for you to solve. You can't, might as well just cut and run. You just cut your losses, move on. Ruth, you don't, have, you don't hoard anything. You could have just gone and restarted your life. You're young. Ruth says, essentially, I'm not going anywhere. It's a big part of the story. It's her saying, I'm going to commit to stay. You know what this reminds me of the most? It reminds me of Jesus. Maybe you're a, a Naomi right now. And you need to hear the opportunity that's on the table for you to come to Jesus, the, the very person who says things like, I'm not going anywhere. I know that you're broken. I know that you've got issues. I know that you're running to, to temporary relief all the time. But I want you to know, I'm not going anywhere. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will, never, I will not leave you as an orphan. I will be with you even to the end of the age. I am the I am, the one who's consistent and going to be here for you. And I'm going to see you through to, to restoration. And I'm going to give everything that I can to make sure that you are restored. Ruth sure does show me a lot about Jesus when she says, May it never be that I depart from you. Don't make me leave. I'm going to make sure that you have somebody. And for everybody who's ever felt like they had to do it alone, you don't have to do it alone. You've got somebody who's going to be with you and will be there for you now and to the end of the age. Restoration starts with a commitment. The second thing I notice about the restoration in this story developing is through Boaz and Ruth. As we look at Boaz, I know he gets a lot of credibility. I mean, he should. He's a great guy. You almost never find good examples in the Old Testament, okay? Let's be honest. They're always messing up somehow. And this is an enigmatic couple, okay? Like, what are they doing really? That's wrong. I mean, they're tr they just seem to be kind of always making the right decision. And so I do have a little thought on Boaz that I can't really fit in anywhere else. So I'm just going to say it and you can just, you know, take it or leave it. But I just think it's so important to see that this man lived his life in such a way that he, that was so consistent that when he was presented with an awkward opportunity or when he was presented with something he didn't see coming, he was quickly able to make the right decision. Oftentimes... We're not ready. We're not thinking. We're not using our imagination to see who would I be in this situation and what would I look like in that situation and how could I respond if somebody did this in a way that showed the gospel and showed Jesus. But Boaz was living his life, mundane faithfulness, one day after a time, uh, one day after another, to the point where when he was presented with something that interrupted his, uh, his story, he was ready. I read a C.S. Lewis quote who said that who, we are who we really are in interruptions. Um, and so I just want to put that out there uh, for Boaz. But 
I want to put a boundary out. Okay, we spent two weeks talking about Boaz. I know. We spent a lot of time talking about Boaz because our culture often celebrates Boaz as the hero of the story. But I'd like to remind you of something. This book is not called Boaz. It's called Ruth. And so what about their relationship is so memorable that uh, Ruth would be seen the way Boaz sees her? Because I don't know if you noticed this, but two times he takes time to stop and validate her. In chapter 2, when they're out in the grain fields, he says to her, I, cannot be- I am blown away. Everybody is talking about you. And in chapter 3, when she approaches him in the night, trying to do what Naomi said for her to do, he stops right in that moment and says, I know exactly what you're doing. And this is blowing me away. This kindness that you are showing is greater than the kindness that was before. If you see that in 3, I think it's verse 10, he then goes on to say, you could have married anybody that you wanted to. Why did he say that? Was my question. I think he said that to point out that she is making a sacrifice, not just for herself. She's not just going to Boaz for herself. She's going for multiple people's on account of Naomi and maybe even on account of Boaz. And I only say maybe because I don't know if Boaz has a wife. I don't know if Boaz has other kids. There's no verse about that. Nobody knows. If you want to imagine that he does, that's fine. But for some reason, the author decided to show us that he does not have a family. Even in the genealogy, it specifically says Boaz's son was Obed. This is his son. And so for whatever reason, I just think this moment where Ruth decides to do this, he is recognizing as this is a sacrifice you're making. You could have, you could have gone other directions. And it blows him away. So the second thing that I'm noticing about the path of restoration is it's going to take Christ-like sacrifice. It's going to take humility. It's going to sound like this. I don't have to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. That could be her response to Boaz in this moment. I know I don't have to do it. I know. I'm young. I got a great personality. I can marry anybody or whatever she could have said. People married me before. I, you know, I can marry again. Whatever. I know I don't have to, but I'm going to do it anyways. For the sake of Naomi, for the sake of you even, for the sake of this community, this is what needs to happen. For the sake of my, for her deceased husband, Malon, for the sake of their family line, I'm going to make this decision and sacrifice, or make a self-sacrificial decision here and um, approach you as the kinsman redeemer. This reminds me so much of the, of the heart of Jesus in our world. I know I don't have to do it. I'm going to do it anyways. The world's going to tell you the complete opposite. Naomi doesn't owe you anything. Boaz doesn't owe you anything. You are supposed to look after yourself what are you talking about? Think about this. Um, you, you're, you're wronged by somebody. Yeah, I know what they did, and I don't have to forgive them. Of course not. I don't have to, you know, your spouse, uh, I know what they did, and they ne- they're never going to get back into my heart. Or I know what this, this server or waitress or waiter did, and they're never going to get any uh, generosity out of me. 
The heart of Jesus, as displayed here, is so beautiful to say, I know. Even as we look into the mirror, I know. Jesus says, I know I don't have to do it. Because I know who you are. And I know where you were. But I'm going to do it anyways. Because Jesus wants you to know that he'll sacrifice anything that he can to make sure that you are okay. He'll give up any option that he had or whatever before to make sure that you are safe and healthy and have what you need. It's very specific what happens here is that all the stories tie together in that last section of chapter 4. And God is mentioned specifically, this is the only time in the whole story that he is mentioned stepping in. And I think it's worth pointing out. When she conceives, it says, the Lord caused her to have this baby. And in a sense, the baby is not a novelty. It's something that represents life and death in their world. This is their 401k. This is their health insurance. This is their food on the table. This is their future protection. This is their life. And they can't do it without this act of sacrifice. They couldn't, they couldn't do it. Naomi, she, she can't do it. Boaz, he can't do it. And God steps in and does what could not be done. And it I think it's more than a coincidence that it follows an act of sacrifice. I'll just play my card about what, I, what my theology is. Is that this restoration of this family, this resurrection is poured out because of an act of sacrifice in, in a sense I think that the Bible, in, in, in general, it points to God's restoring power being poured out on people who die on crosses. And I hear a calling from our mentor, our leader, to be somebody who picks up their cross also and follows him with a promise that God is the God of resurrection. And so if you have an opportunity uh, aside from receiving Jesus as that sacrifice for you, to be a person who has all kinds of opportunities in your life to say, I know what they did, but I'm going to forgive them anyways. I bet you you're going to start seeing restoration, resurrection, the power of God break through in your life. Maybe it's been a while since you gave into that pattern. Uh, maybe it's been a while since you, set, since you, in humility, gave it to the Lord and said, I want to do what you did and forgive them. I want to do what you did and give them something even in mercy and grace, even if they don't deserve it. And if that's true, then I would expect to start to see God moving in a, a, a powerful way in your future. Um, because that's who he is. He's a God of resurrection. And he restores this family. So the last thought that I have before we go is on the genealogy. It's a very simple thought, but you got to ask yourself, why are they doing this? Genealogy, this story, it's kind of weird. All of a sudden they just throw that in there. Ten generations. Um, and they, they keep talking about Judah and Tamar, as you can see in, in 4.9, I think it is there. And then they talk about Perez, uh, their son. Well... The only thought that I really have on this, not that this is like the only thought there is, 
But I just would like to say to you, this genealogy tells me of a story that starts off in total drama <laughs> with Judah, Tamar, and Perez, but is trending in a direction of hope. And there are a lot of people in our world, a lot of Christians specifically, who refuse to believe that uh, the story that we are in is trending in a direction of hope. And I'm not trying to make an enemy here at all. And if that's your thing, uh, go for it. But the story that I'm seeing is a story that says, actually, um, where this is headed, it's headed towards a king. <laughs> the last word of this book is David. The king who restored rest to all of Israel. Um, and the king who protected them and, and made sure that everything was the way God was wanting it to be. And in the same way, our story that we are invited to be a part of is headed towards the direction of a king who is much greater than David. Who will bring rest to this world and set all things right and I want to just talk about it. And I want to invite you into that family and into that story. And it be on our lips and our hearts and minds. I want to invite you to be like this little village of Bethlehem here. Who sees God's work in this family and say, uh, celebrate it. And be thankful and full of gratitude that God is able to move even in the time of the judges. Restoration is possible. But it... It's not, a, we are not in a story without hope. And so fix your eyes on Christ and in the way, and, and, and in the trend that we're headed, which is towards a resurrection and a re, restoration of this world in, in the age to come. And I want to invite you to respond to that. Um, so everything I just said in a simple way, as the band comes back, I just want to ask you to stand up and just consider saying out loud, as you feel led, the, word thank, the words thank you. Now, I know that nobody is, uh, you know, happy about being told to say thank you, okay? So, trust me. Um, you don't have to do it if you don't want to. But I want to get to the place where they are, they're at at the end of this story. I want to feel the feeling that they're feeling where they can't help but say, praise the Lord. He has not left you without a redeemer. Praise the Lord. He is left, he is, he is making your life so that it can be sustainable and so that it can be healed. And he has given you the thing that you couldn't do on your own and he made that possible. So if you right now are just feeling like you're resonating with the idea that you have a God who has committed to being loyal and faithful to you forever. That you feel like, uh, even if you're just Naomi, and you're just a mess, and you just feel like God has said, I'm gonna be with you no matter what. And that just causes your heart to sing. I just wanna invite you to be one of the people who just say, thank you. If you feel like God is just right now impressing your heart about the sacrifice that he made so that you could uh, be healthy and free and have and be okay. Be a person who puts that on your lips and feel free to say to your community around you, thank you. You don't have to make it a fancy one. Of course, if you want to say thank you in a different language, that's fine. We all know. Or whatever. I can't, I can't think of it. What's German? Danke, Shane. Okay, sorry, that was... 
if you feel like you have been stuck in a hopeless story and you just right now are feeling resonant with the fact that God has invited you into a family that is a, a story of restoration, then lift up your voice and say, thank you, God. And I'll be the first one to do it. So pray with me. Thank you. Thank you for bringing me from famine to family. And only you know how much that means to me.